Thank you, Bobby. Well, good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty Bible Church, and it is good to be here and to open the scriptures with you this morning. If you take your Bibles and let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 this morning. I know I can hear somebody already protesting. It's not Christmas morning yet. We can't read Luke 2. Yes, we can. I was telling the staff this last week in our staff meeting on Wednesday, we had to give one of our favorite traditions uh, that we celebrate at Christmas, and I had to admit that I'm not a big tradition-keeping type guy. All the traditions I grew up with just like to have new things, like to try new things every year. Read a different scripture passage each year. Read a different poem on this day or whatever that it might be uh, in regards to Christmas and Easter and all those things. There's too many good things out there to stick with the same thing every single year year. So you may be like me and can sympathize, and maybe you're not. And right now you're going, I'm having a really hard time listening to you. (laughs) I don't know if I like you yet. Well, nonetheless, that's why we stick to the scriptures and not telling stories, okay? So Luke chapter 2, let's stand if you're there already. We'll read, and we'll look into God's word this morning. Luke chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a particularly wonderful passage of scripture uh, to read this morning. We have read much of God's word. I'm so thankful for that. But what a particularly wonderful passage to be able to focus on uh, this season of the year and thinking about the birth of Christ as we look into this sermon series in Advent. Born that man no more may die. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Gracious Lord, like Nicodemus, we come to the word with many questions. Like the Pharisees, we can be captivated by correctness, intent on right answers. But as we turn to your word, Spirit of God, do not let our desire for information dominate our need for transformation this morning. Let us hear the word and be moved to greater faith and obedience by it. Amen. This morning, as we look at the first sermon in our Advent series, 
Born that man no more may die. We're going to take those words and this morning look at the word born, birth. Next week, Pastor Bobby will look at the words that man, looking at the title of the topic of man, mankind and his sin. And the next week, uh, that no more may die and the hope that we have in the gospel, all pointing us to not only looking back at the first advent when Christ came, but his second advent when he comes again. But what is it? When we think of the word birth, what is it about the birth of a child that is so exciting? Is it the anticipation of getting woken up in the middle of the night? Is that it? Or is it the fact that money will be a little tighter with another human in the house? Is it the cuteness of those chubby cheeks? the rolls on their arms, or the drooling mouth when teeth are poking through their gums regularly. Or maybe it's knowing that this little bundle of joy will be walking soon, getting into things, and disobeying, wearing holes in the knees of two-week-old pants, needing new gloves and hats and boots every single winter, and taking the car without putting gas in it, and letting you pay for their college education. Is that the joy that is childbirth, and what makes it so exciting. Maybe that anticipation of events to come is what gets you all teared up when you think about that little bun in the oven. There really is so much wonder and joy and excitement about a new baby. Couples are crying when they find out they are expecting. They have friends and family who throw baby showers. They can't believe it when they feel the baby kicking. They track how big the baby is compared to the size of a fruit. Oh, the baby is the size of an avocado this week. Doesn't that fill you with great joy? You see outward signs that normally would greatly discourage a young woman, and yet her belly getting bigger and bigger and much bigger is now a wonderful thing. They let people comment on their bellies publicly, sometimes touch their bellies, laugh about how hard it is to do normal tasks with a significant growth protruding from them. The whole process is astounding. It's absolutely fascinating to see how God is growing a human being inside of its mother. Is that what is so exciting? Birth. If you're taking notes this morning, or if you want to know where we're heading, just write down the word born or birth. And we're going to be looking at the theme of birth and being born from the Old Testament and the New Testament, a a biblical theology of born or the idea of birth. Our Advent series called Born That Man No More May Die, then we need to know why Jesus was born. Why must it be by birth that the Son of God comes and redeems us? Why can't he just come with the angels and the clouds and come down with might and power and subdue everyone else and take up those who are his? Why was he, why did he have to be born? 2,000 years ago, he comes and he is born. His birth that we celebrate this time of year It was 2,000 years ago, and we're 2,000 years now closer to his return when he will come back for his bride. From almost the very beginning, humanity has been marveling at the birth process. Even today, with all the fancy equipment that can give 4D pictures of a baby in the womb, we are still grasping more and more all the complexities of what happens from fertilization to birth. And yet, even with all the complexities and possible complications, 
Women have been giving birth to babies for thousands of years. Can you imagine that first birth to have ever taken place? When Eve gives birth to Cain, Adam and Eve were not born in the same way as we were or as every other human being after them, but instead God fashioned them by his very hands. Adam from the ground and Eve from Adam. We feel lost taking home our first child, and yet we have so much information afforded to us by doctors and nurses and online gurus and so much information of how to take care of this seven-pound bundle of joy who to call, what to do, emergency numbers, car seat checks, all of those things. Can you imagine Adam and Eve with Cain and no one else around who had ever done it before? (laughs) You have a mom who goes through it with you. Who did Eve have? Adam. Animals. No one else. To give you any idea of what is about to happen except Adam and the Lord himself. Notice Adam says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when Cain is born, I have gotten a man. I don't know why that sounds like a caveman to me. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, he says. So I have received this child, this human child. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It was by the Lord's help. Imagine Adam and Eve's anticipation at the birth of Cain. Not at all like ours in some ways because of what we know and can see and hear in utero, but so similar in other ways. As it's the very first birth that has ever happened within humanity, you know Adam is wondering, how big will her belly get? Why is this little baby crying so much? How many fluids and smells are supposed to come out of this little guy? Cain was born outside of the Garden of Eden because of the sin of his parents, He is the first child born, and the situation that he's born into is difficult, to say the least. Away from the only home they had ever known, not in the safety of the garden, out in the elements, probably a crude shelter for a home and surrounded by animals. This is how Cain comes into the world, and only one verse in Scripture is given over to his birth. That's normally how we talk about the third child. The first child gets all the press in the pictures. But here, notice Cain's birth is only mentioned in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Cain's occupation comes in verse 2 as one who is going to take care of the ground. His offering comes in verse 4, and his anger and disappointment at his offering being refused by God in verse 5. Only a few verses after His birth story is told. The Lord is warning Cain to repent, to watch out, because there was one who desires to devour him. Sin is crouching at the door, Cain. Be careful. Turn away. And seven verses after his birth story is told, Cain is found to be murdering his brother in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. The first child, the first birth, The firstborn of all mankind did not worship God as he ought, and he killed his brother. Remember, we said he was born in the difficult circumstances, and those circumstances continue to escalate. Remember the promise that God had made to Eve in the garden in Genesis 3, when the Lord cursed the serpent in the garden, he promised that Eve's offspring would be at war with the serpent. 
and the serpent's offspring. There would be enmity. And the result would be that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent while being wounded himself. Eve sees her oldest son, Cain, not crush the serpent, but crush his brother instead. Instead of warring with the serpent, he wars with his brother so much to the point that God warns him. Cain joined the side of the serpent. Cain Cain is not the one of hope. He is not the child who will be the snake crusher. And yet, even by the end of chapter four of Genesis, hope comes to Eve by means of another child and the birth of another son. And in Eve's eyes, hope is not lost. I've been given another child, a son who will kill the evil one who has caused all this pain and suffering. Eve has been uh, removed from the garden because of sin. Eve's son has been murdered because of sin. Eve now clings to the hope that is in this birth of another son. However, scripture doesn't mention Seth as the one, but points to his son Enosh. When Enosh was born, the text says that it was then that people began to call on the name of the Lord. Did Adam not do that? Did Cain not do that? We immediately go from Seth to Enosh to Genesis 5. In Genesis 5, if you are there or happen to know what happens in Genesis 5, just a glance at the chapter, you will see it almost right away. What happens in Genesis 5? What do we, what do we get in Genesis 5? A genealogy. Frankly, it's a chapter that we just skip quite over uh, in our Bible reading plan because it's hard to pronounce those names. And we kind of don't realize, we don't know that there's any point to it anyway. A list of names of men and their sons, their son's son, their son's son, and he begat so-and-so and lived 800 years and then begat so-and-so and lived 600 years. And the genealogy spans people living over 900 years. And yet, in all of the names that are listed in Genesis 5, not a one in there is mentioned as the seed of Eve who will crush the head of the serpent. We're reading the story And a seed has been promised that will come and will do just that. Crush the head of the serpent. Be at war with the serpent. And in so doing, by crushing his head, will bring about deliverance from evil. Every time a new baby is born, there is hope. And yet that hope for the child who will war with Satan is not as strong as sin. Sin is what spreads the sin of Adam, the sin of Cain, the sin of, the man, of mankind, so much so that it is rampant over all the earth and God is going to judge it. Noah builds an ark at the calling of God and only eight people are saved from the judgment of God on sin. God promises never to do that again, almost completely wipe out humanity. And yet what do we get immediately after the Noah story? Another list of names. Those lists of names don't make it into the Sunday school stories. When we're teaching through Genesis, we skip those. They're not, there's nothing fancy about it. There's nothing that's ooh and shiny that the kids are going to go, yes, I remember talking about Methuselah and how old he lived. Now, that one guy we do actually mention, but not the rest. But all of a sudden, you get this list of names in which there is hope. They are not all the one. And you have to start wondering, we had a list of names in Genesis 5. We have a list of names now uh, in Genesis chapter 9. Where is the one? 
How will we know when the seed of Eve, that is the one who will crush the serpent's head, how do we know when he's coming? Will we know? Is there any kind of a sign? Is God faithful? He promised never to destroy us again by means of a flood, but he also promised to bring about a seed to crush the head of the serpent, and he hasn't done that for a few thousand years already. You can begin to see how God's people, all of a sudden, and just what they know about him, are wondering or questioning his character. Another genealogy, another list of names, and we don't yet have the one. Will God tell us in some miraculous way who it is, who is to be the seed, who will crush the seed of the serpent? God spreads out all humanity at that time changes their language, makes nations and people groups distinguished by language and from one another. And from one nation, from one family, God chooses one man, Abram. That one guy to be the guy from which the seed of Eve that we are looking for will come. However, there's a problem. We haven't faced it yet in the story. We have faced other things, like almost the wiping out of all mankind, but we haven't faced this difficulty yet. You see, the problem is with all those lists of names, you had a husband and a wife, and they came together and they had children. Abram and his wife come together, no children. And it's not like it's just, you know, they're they're 18, 20, they're, they're newlyweds, and they're struggling to have children in the very beginning of their marriage. They're 90 and 80, and they're not having children. Most of you are going, why are they even thinking of having children at that age? Abraham and his wife cannot have children. And we read the story, and we didn't see that one coming. We didn't all of a sudden go, we're waiting for a line of Eve to be passed down so that the seed will come who will crush the head of the serpent. And what happens if there is no seed? What's at stake is not merely Sarah's joy in having a children, having a child. What's at stake is the character of our God. Is he going to be faithful? He's made promises. Can we hold him to be faithful by the birth of a child, the one who will be the one? The joy of children and birth is not present in their home. So is that it? Game over? Sorry, folks. Did God not know that the guy he chose was a dead end? That's what we think from our perspective. What about the promises that God made to Abram and Sarah? What about that? God is a God who keeps his promises right. I mean, we're only 12 chapters into this story of 66 books, and we're just at the beginning. God made a promise to Eve, and that hasn't been fulfilled yet. God made a promise to Abram, and what? And so what happens often when we hit a brick road, we find a stop, stopping place, God's not answering, all too often we can run ahead and make up ideas of how we can make it happen, make, make this work. And Abram's wife has an idea, and it's not a good one. She doesn't ask God about it. Abram and his wife try to force the fulfillment of God's promise to them, and you can't do that. The child born is not the one that God will use to bring about his promises. God works to open Sarah's closed womb to give her the child of promise in her old age when she thought it was impossible to have a child God brought her joy in a son. This same type of story happens several times in the Old Testament where a woman cannot have children and then God grants them a child in his timing and for his good purposes. 
And honestly, that's the way actually it always happens with every child. We just don't like the timing being different from the timing of our purposes. We don't always want to be grown spiritually by having to wait or to not have things go according to our plan. We would rather just have what we are wanting when we want it. But in every circumstance, when God grants a life of a child, he is giving a gift to them at his timing and for his purposes. Abraham has a grandson named Jacob. He's also married to a wife who cannot have children. And again, his wife has ideas of how to solve this. Jacob ends up with 12 sons by four wives, some daughters, and God makes it clear that in all of those boys that there is one. There is one through whom the line of Eve will continue, and that's through the line of the son of Judah. This line of Eve continues through Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, many other women as again and again babies are born, hundreds and hundreds of babies, some through women expected who are in the nation of Israel and others who are outside of the nation of Israel. Others that we would look at and say, that's not a hero of the faith, and God says, oh yes, it actually is. Joy floods families as hope is given that maybe this one or that one, maybe it's this one, is the one. In the family line, you have kings and mighty soldiers, prophets. As time goes on, people forget what God has promised. And ultimately, instead of looking for a line of Eve, they look for their own prosperity. They look for their own wealth and protection. They forget what God has commanded. They do their own thing and they follow their own rules. Why can't we be in charge? Who says we need to follow after God? Has God actually kept his promises? Is he actually a God worth following? What's at stake is trusting in God's will, in God's goodness. While we'll look more at sin next week and the consequence of sin and death Mankind, over and over again, we see them rebelling against God, leaving him behind, going after other gods, and doing horrible things to each other. Abraham's offspring, by the end of the Old Testament, in the line of Eve, is in the millions. And yet, where is that one that was promised? Is there really a one who can fix all this? Finally kill the evil one and fulfill God's promise to his people. Just before the Old Testament ends... God gives reminders, actually floods the minor prophets and the major prophets with reminders that there is an offspring, even in the darkest of days, there is an offspring, a light that is shining, a son of David who will be a forever king, a light in the darkness, a ruler and a judge, a glimmer of hope. He has not forgotten his promise. Even though the timing is different than what the people of Israel expected, even though they've waited for hundreds and hundreds of years, generation after generation, wondering and waiting. The prophet Isaiah mentions in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Is this the one? Is he going to do what we expect him to do? Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And this child who's going to be born, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Sure sounds like it. Sure sounds like the one that we've been waiting for, one who's going to come and make all things right. One who's going to come as mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, all of a sudden, the one seed that we were looking for in Genesis 3.15 has escalated to the point that we were not anticipating, unless we are reading closely in some of the messianic passages, not expecting this one to be the very Son of God, the one who comes and is born, the child of hope, the promised seed, the son of David is none other than the eternal God, the creator of the universe, the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus himself. We don't know that back in Genesis 3.15. We do know that the one who comes will be wounded in his battle with the serpent. We know that he'll crush the head of the serpent. What we didn't know was that the one who was to come was the serpent's maker. The one who in the beginning and for all time has been sustaining all things by the word of his power. That the one who is to come is the heaven-born prince of peace, the son of righteousness that the one who is to come has to come by means of a woman whose womb was not closed, but whose womb was never tested, was not one who was born from the seed of a man so that original sin didn't pass on to him, but one who was born by means of the Holy Spirit, this one who comes as a snake crusher. On such a night that is considered by one hymn writer to be a holy night, Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild. Son of God, loves pure light. Radiant, beams from thy holy face. With the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. The New Testament shows as Matthew opens up his gospel with, again, a list of names, a list of names all leading from Adam to Jesus of man who was born and died, born and died, born and had so-and-so, and he died, and all of a sudden leading to one, the promised seed, the hope of all the earth, the joy of every human heart. Even if they don't know it yet, this one has come. In the quiet and in the darkness, he has come, and he is the promised seed. He comes not to a woman who hopes that her baby is the snake crusher, but he comes to a girl who is told by angels that her son is the promised Messiah. He comes not to a woman who is so old and near dead, but to a young girl. As we mentioned, not to a woman whose womb is closed, but to a woman whose womb has not yet been tested yet. He comes not just with the help of the Lord, but he comes by the Holy Spirit himself. And he is, in fact, the Lord. Where Cain fails, Jesus will not. Cain kills his brother, but Jesus comes to save his people. Cain sins, but Jesus never sins and saves his people from their sins. He is not born like Cain and like every other person within the line of Eve or every other child that we know with potential, but he's born with purpose. Jesus comes as fully God and fully man to crush the head of the serpent by his death, 
He will be dealt a blow, but it will not destroy him. And in fact, the blow he has dealt will serve his own purpose as the sovereign king over all mankind to redeem his people by means of his own salvation that he brings. Jesus is born. Second person of the Trinity comes as a man to be born that through his birth, you and I will have second birth. We have been born, every single one of us. And yet it is the second birth that we're longing for. In our first birth, we began the dying process. I know that that sounds morbid, but we did. However, it's in our second birth that we are given new life or eternal life. John chapter 3, in beginning of verse 1, Jesus says, uh, John Rossi's writing, excuse me, speaks of this interaction that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And he says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Hopefully not. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." And so while Jesus comes as a snake crusher, the promised seed from Genesis chapter 3.15, the one which we are tracing the line throughout all the Old Testament scriptures and into the New Testament, this one Christ who comes and is born on one particular morning to a virgin girl and her husband, this one who is born in the flesh is God himself comes to redeem us, to offer us second birth that comes by means of his salvation that he offers to us, that he makes possible by means of his coming. And it is his coming that is not merely a down payment of the work that he will do on your behalf, but it is his coming that assures God is faithful and God has been faithful for all of eternity. The same God who has always been faithful will always be faithful And the promises we've looked back to also hearken us to look forward to when Christ will come again. There's a song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, from which we get the lyric that we've used as the theme for our Advent series, Born that man no more may die. And there the writer says, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born 
to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. He comes with purpose. He comes that you might no longer die, but have life eternal by second birth that has no death. He comes and he is born that you might be born again. Sometimes it would be good for us uh, to read the Christmas songs, Christmas hymns that we sing, and just read them as poetry. That's how they began. That's how they were originally written, as poetry, and be able to look at the theology that the writers are giving to us within these songs. I don't know about you, but in one of those lines, as it's talking about Christ uh, prior to his incarnation, my mind went to Philippians chapter 2, where it speaks of Christ, and it says in verse uh, five, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ, yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he, Christ, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In his eternal state, prior to his incarnation, Christ, in the very form of God, didn't say, this is mine and I won't do anything else. He didn't make it to be something that he had that he wouldn't serve others because of. It wasn't as though he was willing to hold on to his godness and not obey his father in coming and taking on flesh. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He came and he was made just like us, that he might redeem us. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by the becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God in his eternal godness came and took on flesh, became fully God and fully man, that he might be born, that you might no longer die. First John chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. May it be as we think of biblical theology, of this idea of born or birth, and see this tracing line throughout the Old Testament, not everything obviously, but walking through, seeing some of the main points. May it be as we think of the birth of Christ this season, that we remember the birth he came to give us, second birth. And as we remember the birth of Christ, that that continues to shape us. Why did he come and was born? And what impact does that have on me right now? Does that mean that I just do the same traditions on Christmas morning? Well, maybe. But maybe it means I do so with more intentionality, reflecting on the very God-man who came and went through the process of being born that we would not die. He didn't just say something like he did his dozen creation, and, and it happens. He just doesn't say, okay, now on this day, whatever it is, AD, you're all saved. Congratulations. If you believe in me, you got it. You get eternal life. Wonderful. We would still take it. <laughs> but he actually comes and in the flesh is made just like me and you. And he does so that you and I would marvel 
Look at this newborn child that is born to a family in our church or to a family that you know or to your family and marvel at this little life and be able to, in that way, and at Christmas, and at other times, be able to look at this and be reminded of the incarnation of the Son of God, that God himself came just like this little one who is so helpless and who just is so small. And the king of all glory, who's sustaining all things by the breath of his power, was made, as one person has said, killable. Was made small. Had parents who had to stop talking and listen. Is he breathing? Is he still with us? Parents who are coddling this little one. Twice, in that one text we read in Luke 2. Wrapping him in swaddling cloths and lying him in a manger protecting, caring, warming. This is the Son of God. This is their maker. And she's holding and nursing her own creator. Charles Wesley in 1744 wrote these lines. We'll finish with this. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Would we, as we look at this message, 1 John chapter 5, its commendation to us, these lyrics, allow Christ this morning to reign in us forever. What does that look like? To allow the one who has come to bring his kingdom, to born to redeem us that we might no longer die. What does that do for us to continue thinking on, dwelling on the lordship of Christ reigning in us forever? The eternal king who came to us, born a child and yet a king, may he reign in us this morning in the days going forward as we continue to think of the birth of Christ this Advent season. Our Father, we are grateful for your word and our time in it this morning. As we're able to trace a theme this morning instead of doing what we normally do of just taking a passage and walking through it. Father, I pray that as we look at the birth of Christ and we think of that word birth, that it reminds us of all the humanity that Christ was willing to take on for us. All of the godness that he gave up. Uh, all of the privileges he had had before. He, has, he can't divest himself of who he is but of all the privileges and the place of which he was, of being willing to sacrifice, to come down and take on human flesh, to be made just like us, that he might reverse the end that was ours. As because of our sins we deserve death, Christ comes that no man no more may die, but have life and life eternal through the second birth in Christ. Father, we ask that you would continue to remind us of our birth in Christ. As each year we think of a birthday, we think even more importantly of the birth when we have come to know Jesus. May you continue to remind us of what it was like to be, believe in you in the very beginning, to believe in the gospel, to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ. Help us to continue daily to be repenting of our sins, daily to be reaffirming, almost like new birth each morning, affirming the truths of Christ that we know to be true, the truths of the gospel, that Jesus came. He was born, born that he might live a perfect life, 
die a painful death, be raised from the dead, and now in glory interceding on our behalf. Father, may that continue to grant us awe and a desire to give you our lives, that you would reign in us now and forevermore. We ask your blessing on the rest of this time as we sing, as we give. May it be for your glory as we submit to you as our Lord and our King. In Christ's name, amen.